0: Okay, we're all set, all set to go. Uh, it Took me a little while to, to make my way up then. I had to remember taking off hats, taking off masks, just remembering all the bits that needed to, uh, to be taken off before I came up. But back in um, the back end of March 2020, right through to May of 2020, the actor and filmmaker John Krasinski, he hosted, produced and hosted a web series Uh, called Some Good News. It ran only for nine episodes, uh, but the idea behind Some Good News was an opportunity to share good stories and to share good news, so kind of feel-good stories. It'd have guests on, celebrity guests on each time to come and and, and kind of talk through some of the things, stories that they'd heard. I think they even hosted a a wedding and a a prom and all sorts of things, it was hugely successful, even though it only ran for nine episodes, it was incredibly popular and really seemed to resonate with people at the time. If you think the time we're talking about, it would have been right at the beginning of, of kind of lockdown and that sort of time and really had a, a profound impact on many people that were, that were watching it. Uh, and uh, we're starting a new series this week. You may have seen already our graphic, whether through the notices or through uh, on the screen now. And it's a similar title. To that show, not quite the same. It's not some good news. This series that we're starting today is called Good News. And this series is about good news, but specifically about the gospel. The gospel being the good news of what God has done through Jesus, primarily through his life, death, and resurrection. And I love the fact that the word gospel translated actually means good news. So even if you feel you're not actually sure how you might define the gospel or might feel actually there's lots of different ways in which you can approach it. What we do know for sure is that it is good news. The word itself means that. But actually as we take some time, it's not just in terms of this series, but actually as we think about and consider the good news, we're not doing it as spectators like we might watch a web series that's showing some of the good things that are going on around the world and good stories, things to celebrate. Uh, And things that do lift us up and make us feel good. But the gospel, we don't approach the gospel just merely as spectators. It's not, but this is actually good news to be entered into. It is good news to be, to partake of and also to live in light of. It is more than just making yourself feel better or having a moment where you can feel good. It's actually good news that we enter into and we live in the light of. And my plan for this morning... Just so you know where where I'm planning to go, uh, maybe just to help me so I know where I'm planning to go, I'm going to share a little bit about what this series is about, kind of heart behind it, and what you might expect over the next few weeks. Then I want to share something really around the scope of the gospel, just to help bring a a bit of alignment to us, just in a sense we can lay some foundations before we press into the series, and then we're going to explore some verses in the book of Jeremiah. And then we're going to pray. That's where we're going to end. Okay, So it might seem like that's quite a bit that we're doing. But I just wanted to lay it out so hopefully you can follow along with where I'm at. Um, and that's really the plan with what I want to do with the time I have this morning. Now this series, uh, good news, this series has been based on and it's really been shaped by a, a Bible study or a group study written by Tim Keller called Gospel in Life. And the heart behind that series really is to explore how the gospel is lived out in all of life. We've been thinking, I know we've mentioned, particularly towards the back end of last year, um, in, in some of the things that I've been sharing and in some of the, the preaching and teaching that I've been doing, we've been speaking about how our gospel theology, so what we understand and what we know of the gospel, shapes and informs gospel culture. So it doesn't just stay as information, actually it should shape what our lives look like, how we relate to God, how we relate to others, how we relate to what he has created. And so really, that is what this series is. And to be honest, actually, everything that we do is about the gospel. Everything that we do is because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us. But we're going to spend these its eight weeks just really specifically digging into how is the gospel lived out in all Of life, and in week one, which is today, we're going to be thinking about your home now, so the world that is, and then we're going to end up in week eight thinking about the world that is to come. Okay, so we're going to go on a bit of a journey, if you like, from the world that is to the world that is to come, and in between, we're going to spend two weeks thinking about how the gospel changes your heart, then a couple of weeks thinking about how the gospel changes your community. And then thirdly, we're going to spend a couple of weeks thinking about how, uh, how you live in the world. So how the gospel affects how you live in the world. So now there's probably quite a lot to, to take on, but I just wanted to lay it out so you know roughly what we're going to be doing. We'll reinforce that as we go on, and we'll kind of let you know whereabouts in the series we are week by week. But that's what we're going to do. Thinking about this morning, the world that is our home now, and then thinking about ultimately ending up in the world that is to come, where our home ultimately will be. But I'd like us, if you've got your Bibles with you, just turn to Ephesians chapter one. It will come up on the screen in a minute. But I'm really, really excited about this series, as I've spent time kind of preparing it and even preparing for this morning. Just feel very stirred, very excited about what God wants to do in us through His Holy Spirit uh, over these few weeks. But before we kind of jump into week one, thinking about the world that is. I mentioned just a moment ago, I want us actually just to think about what the gospel is, particularly in terms of its scope, just to help to bring some alignment. Scripture does that for us, doesn't it? It helps us just to bring things into alignment, uh, and just to help us to think of things in the right way, and to understand things in the right way. And just to help us to, to think then what the gospel is, And to understand the scope of the gospel, we're going to spend just a couple of moments in some verses in Ephesians. We spent quite a while, didn't we, Uh, going through a series, I can't remember how long ago it was now, where we worked through the book of Ephesians. Um, So hopefully this is fairly fresh in your mind, what I'm going to read uh, to you now. We're going to read from... Chapter 1 and from verse 3. And this is Paul starting his letter. He's addressing the the fellowship, the believers in Ephesus. And what we see here is just this amazing, wonderful expression of the gospel that Paul lays out before them. So from verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And this, I don't know if you remember, but when we went through this all those weeks, all those months back, we were saying, all that I've just read there is one long sentence. It's like Paul just can't help to just pour out these blessings that we've received. In Christ. And he's just laying it out. Again. For the believers in Ephesus. Just to know what it is. That they have received. In God. Through Jesus. And this. These are some of the things that we can pick out. You know we. How we've all found ourselves separated from God. By sin. How our hearts have been turned to worship. Other things really. The the Bible says actually. We've turned and we've worshipped the created things. Rather than. The Creator. We found our satisfaction primarily in, in other things rather than the One who's created and given us those things. Who actually made us for relationship and fellowship with Him. But what sin does, where we've turned and our hearts have turned to other things other than God and taken His rightful place essentially then that relationship that we've had has been fractured and we found ourselves separated from God. But what Paul lays out is this, is that actually the gospel, the good news is that we've found redemption. Our debt has been cancelled, that debt that we could not pay, that our sinners bought, it's been paid for. And within that, through that, we've also received forgiveness of our trespasses for those things that we've done wrong, for those things that have brought separation between us and God. If you like, that slate has been wiped clean. We've been forgiven of those things. We're now blameless and holy. It's not just that we, we've kind of at, at net neutral now. Ready to start again. Actually, the, rough, the very righteousness of being Jesus has been given to us. Our identity has changed. Just take a moment to think on that. It's not just that you're blameless, which is just beyond what we ever could have hoped for in the first place. But we're also holy. We've been welcomed in to God's family. Not just tolerated, but welcomed. In. And that was God's heart before the very foundation of the earth, before the very foundation of creation. And this is a work of grace. It's not anything that we've earned. It's not anything that we've achieved for ourselves. Paul is very clear. He says, this is according to the riches of God's grace which he has lavished upon us. Not in a little portion, not just barely enough to get, us, to get our foot in the door, but lavished Upon us, not just as a one time thing, but day after day, moment after moment, we are recipients of God's good gift to us, unearned and undeserved, but given. And then Paul again makes it very clear that what God has done for us is only possible because of what Jesus has done. In Him we have redemption. That he has set forth in Christ. You see the good news, the gospel is what God has done in and through Jesus. Through his life, through his death and through his resurrection. And when we think about the gospel, maybe this is where we stop. And we think that is what the gospel is in its entirety. Now, when I was preparing for this series, when I was preparing for this morning, I became aware of a podcast by Kyle J. Howard. It's an excellent podcast. He's just done a few episodes so far. It's called Coram Deo. Anyone's Latin sharp enough to let me know what that means? Coram Deo, it means in the presence of God. So it's a wonderful title there. Uh, and actually, for me, this podcast and, and a couple of episodes in particular have been very timely, but also hugely Important as I'm speaking about kind of just allowing us to be brought back into alignment and recognizing the full scope of the gospel, it's done that for me. Just very helpfully, just brought me it just helped me to, to realign and to align. You see, in this podcast, and, and what I want to lay out before us and, and, and share with us is that an understanding of the gospel that is just about our salvation, that is solely about our salvation, does not encapsulate the fullness. Of the gospel. But that can be how the gospel is understood, particularly in the Western world, within Western cultures, where individualism really is the, is the, the overwhelming uh, thought, the overwhelming culture, this idea of the self and the, and, and the, the, the rights uh, of the individual above all else. And this way of thinking is fairly prevalent in, in the Western culture. And we need to be aware of that because the gospel is bigger than that. I'm not saying our salvation is not important within the gospel, it absolutely is. But it's not the gospel in its entirety, in its fullness. We were just reading, weren't we, from Ephesians 1, and we picked out, I just picked out, some of these amazing truths of what the gospel is in terms of what God has done for us in Jesus. But one thing I hadn't mentioned then that we're going to go back to now, we see from, if I read again from verse 7, it says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You see, the scope of the gospel is much wider than what it means for us as individuals. It's much wider than what it means for us in terms of our individual salvation. The gospel, the good news, is about God through Christ uniting all things in him, whether on heaven, in heaven and on earth. See, the gospel is not individual in scope, it is cosmic in scope. And we see that elsewhere throughout scripture as well, in Genesis chapter 3, I think hopefully that one will come up on the screen as well, where we see actually as sin has entered in and God comes to Adam and Eve and we see that actually the, the implications of that, the effects of their sin, has, it, uh, affects their relationship with God. Also affects relationships with one another, but of creation itself. It says that to Adam, so to God, to Adam said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So we see that it's not just humanity. That have been affected and impacted by sin, but the whole of creation itself—something breaks at that point within all of the created things. Romans eight twenty-two. So, New Testament now, Paul writing to the church. In Romans it says, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Can you see what I'm talking about? when well, I'm saying the scope of the gospel is much more than an individual salvation to be received. It is about the restoration and the redemption and the reunification of all things in Christ, in heaven and on earth. It is global, uh, not just global, that's too small. It is cosmic in scope. And in week eight, we're going to see that actually, where we end up thinking about the world that is to come, we'll explore this a little more, and in terms of what we need. But it is not just... Something to be fulfilled in the future. The reality of this gospel being cosmic in scope. We need to live, it needs to be lived out and worked out in the here and now as well. You see the gospel should not lead us to be introspective. But actually it invites us and it leads us to engage with where we live. To engage with those who live there. It invites us and leads us to engage with nature. And to consider how we're to be good stewards of God's creation. It is far from being introspective. And if the gospel leads us solely to have that introspective thinking. Where we think it's about me and my salvation. And me about getting into heaven. Then we've missed something. Because those are wonderful truths. That give us hope that give us security, absolutely. But actually the gospel should cause us to look outward and to consider what it means for all of creation and everything that God has made and everything that God has promised that he will do and ultimately fulfill in and through Jesus. I love the fact that Stepping Stones today, they're starting a new series on creation. I think that's wonderful. As we're in here thinking about actually there's going to be a time where God will restore all things. And renew all things. There's a couple of bits from that podcast. That I just wanted to share in particular. That I just wanted to share specifically with you. That really stood out to me. Just to help us as we're, we're kind of bringing, laying these foundations. Maybe bringing a bit of alignment. Just in terms of the scope of the gospel. <coughs> so this is what Carl J. J. Howard was saying. He says that we often limit the good news. And actually, for me, as I've been thinking about this, it's been, it's been really helpful for me just to think about, actually, do I limit the good news, either in terms of how, how I understand it, but also in terms of how I share it and how I live it out and what that means for those around me. He went on to say that the good news speaks to everything, rather than being reduced to speaking about us and our ticket to heaven. It's quite a provocation, but actually, I think it's a really important one for us to take some time to consider. And to think about. And then the second thing specifically that I wanted to to draw out that he said is that the gospel means when we put our faith in Jesus, when we trust in him and in his work, when we turn from our old way of living and say, actually, I'm going to put you first, I'm going to live with you as king of my life, we are saved into God's kingdom. We're saved into a new kingdom. But if our scope is too small, if our scope of the gospel is individualistic, we can actually begin building, begin building kingdoms for ourselves, rather than partnering with God in building his kingdom, the way that he has called us to. We can end up in bubbles, shutting ourselves off, where we're concerned with things that concern us individually, but divorced from God's cosmic Ambition. I love that phrasing that he uses. I think it's wonderful. God's cosmic ambition, God's heart, God's desire, God's plan is not small, it's not individualistic. He has ambitions that are cosmic, that reach the very furthest parts of everything that He has created. When I was sharing some of this with Steph, quite often when I'm prepping for for a sermon, I'll just chat things through with Steph in the week in terms of where I'm at. I'd find it helpful uh, for me. I think you enjoy it as well, don't you, Steph. And we have, we have these chats. And, and as I was sharing about where I was at with this week, she said, I can hear how excited you are about this. And I thought, Do you know, I really am. And even just those things, thinking about just that, that those foundation laying, that realignment of really understanding the full scope of the gospel, of God's cosmic. Ambition has stirred something within me and has just been really helpful for me because actually what it does, it's helped me to see that the gospel is more glorious and more more hopeful and more beautiful when we realise that it is not just solely about ourselves. Don't get me wrong. It's because God loved the world, because he loved men and women and children that he sent his son into the world. So I'm not trying to diminish what God has done for us in Christ. I'm not trying to diminish his love for us. I'm not trying to diminish his grace. Actually, I think all of those things are magnified and and made even even brighter and even more beautiful when we realise it within the scope of everything that God is going to do and God has done. So I'm thrilled to be starting this series thinking, focusing on the world that is. Because we're not going into this series thinking about what does this just mean for me? We're thinking about, okay, what does it mean for the world around us? What does it mean in terms of creation? What does it mean in terms of God's cosmic ambition? So we're going to spend just a few moments in Jeremiah 29. Um, So you might want to turn there. Again, if you do have your Bibles, it should be be up on the screen. But just to set the scene a little bit so we know the context into which we're, we're hearing and reading. In 586 BC, Jerusalem has been destroyed... And a number of the Jewish peoples have been taken by force into Babylon. So they're living as exiles, living in in captivity, essentially, in a foreign land, taken from their home and placed by force in a new place, in a new city, under new rule. Uh, And so we're going to read from Jeremiah 29, from verse 4. We're going to read through to verse 14. So this is what the prophet Jeremiah... Uh, he he writes from Jerusalem to the exiles in Babylon. This is what God God is speaking through Jeremiah. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may... When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Okay, so we've got these exiles, God's people, forced to live within this foreign land, among foreign culture, with a different identity to their own. And at this time in which Jeremiah is writing to them as he's sharing what God has given to him to share with them, the people, they're finding themselves having to work out their relationship with this new place. Different values, different culture, different gods. There's lots for them to navigate. Can you imagine what it must have been like for them where everything that they would have known has now been taken from them? And actually, they're having to try and work out, actually, what's our relationship to be with this new place? How are we meant to engage with what's going on? How do we do that in a way that is glorifying to God and enables us, actually, to continue to have our identity as God's people? And so they're trying to, to, to really just work all this through. And for the Babylonians, having taken them, in, taken them into captivity their thinking would have been, they would have wanted to integrate them into their way of life. They would have wanted God's people to lay down everything that was true of their identity and to be assimilated, that's a good word, isn't it? To be assimilated into, sorry, taken out of their culture and their identity and assimilated into the Babylonian culture and identity. That's what they would have, would have been seeking. That's what they would have wanted by that. They would have wanted God's people to begin to resemble the place where they now found themselves. On the other hand, you would have noted that Jeremiah is calling out false prophets. And there were false prophets such as Hananiah, you can read in the chapters, chapters before and after this one, who are calling themselves not to resemble the place where they find themselves, but actually are called to remove themselves, to settle on the edge to stay separate from the city in which they find themselves and as 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 they're to be separated and if they do that, then God will come and rescue them and bring them out. So can you see on the one hand, we've got a group who are wanting them to uh, begin to resemble the place where they now find themselves and then the false prophets are saying, actually, we want you to be separated and to stay distinct and separate and not to engage with the new place you find yourselves but to keep yourselves completely separated from it. And Jeremiah is saying both of those things are wrong. That is not God's heart for his people in that place. They are not to resemble the place where they now live. But he calls out the false prophets to say they're actually not to remove themselves from the place where they now live. In fact, what we see is that God's people are there to serve and love the city and its people. To establish themselves in that place. To build homes and families there, but to, not, not to resemble the place, but to serve and love the city and its people. Now, Jeremiah, he is speaking at a certain point in history to a certain people who find themselves in a specific situation. But the New Testament also uses the language of, of exiles when used for followers of Jesus, or in other words, is sojourners. I'm using lots of good words today, it's been good for my vocabulary. It uses that language of exiles in a sense that we now belong to God's kingdom. So spiritually, our identity, we now belong to God's kingdom, yet we still find ourselves living, living in the world. We're in the world, yet not of the world, is the way we can often talk about it. And so I think we can identify with that sense of actually we're, we're kind of living as exiles in a place where the culture actually... St- very often stands in direct contrast to the kingdom which we are a part of. And I think as we think about what God is calling the people to here in Jeremiah, actually it helps us to think about how we view and engage the place, view and, engage the place and places where God has us and where God has brought us to as well. Actually, we're not to resemble the place where we live. But we're also not to remove ourselves from the place we live. We live. We're live. we called to serve and love the town, or the city, or wherever God has us. And we're called to serve and love the people who inhabit those places. So actually, for us here in Fabersham, or Tenham, or wherever we live, the surrounding villages around here, we're called to serve and love the people of Fabersham, wherever else, and the people who live here. We're to be committed. We're to be engaged. We're to be known. And we're to seek the welfare of the place, where has, the, the place where God has us. We're to seek its prosperity. We're to seek its growth. We're to use all of the gifts that God has given to us. And all of the growth that God brings about in our lives. And we're meant to use those things. It's good for us, but actually we're meant to use those things for the good of others. To seek the prosperity and the welfare of the places where God has called us. Can you see where this links with what I'm saying about the, the cosmic scope? This is far from us being, held. it's not just about how does the gospel impact us individually. Actually, God has changed us and called us in order that the good news is worked out in a much broader scope and in the places where he has called us to he says pray to the Lord on behalf of the place where God has you do you pray for the place where you live do you pray for its people do you pray for its peace and its prosperity and its welfare and for good to be done to the people who live here do you pray for the blessing of the place where God has called you to and where God has you in this moment. Because actually, as the places prosper, everyone prospers. So if the if Faversham is prospering, that's good. For, it's good for Faversham, it's good for us too. Actually, there's this sense that God's blessing is to be extended wherever God's people are. That's been true from the very beginning, where God has called people to himself. We are to mediate God's blessing wherever we go, and so God's people are always meant to do. Uh, it's it's meant to do good to the places where God's people find themselves. We often talk about a vision for our churches. What should our churches look like? What should our churches be like? But do we have a vision for what our neighbourhoods should look like? A, that's a question that came directly from from this um, Gospel in Life series. And I wanted to share it with you because it's one that's really provoked me and got me thinking. Do we have a vision? Do you have a vision for what our neighbourhoods should look like? About what it would look like for the gospel to be impacting the places where we are? About what it would look like for our neighbourhoods to prosper? What does it look like when God's people live out God's call to live his way in the places where God has called them to? What would that look like in our neighborhoods, in our towns and in our villages? What would it look like in your road? What would it look like in your schools or in your workplaces? It's good to have a vision for our church, but do we have a vision for the places where God has called us to as well? Something to think about very much. What does it look like to seek the welfare of the city and its people? Here's a few ideas that Tim Keller shares. I've, I'm just going to share these with you uh, again from, from the study. Just hopefully as some, some way of a, of a starting point, if, we, if we're thinking, okay, what does this actually look like then practically or in reality? Um, and I feel like this kind of will scratch the surface somewhat, but just as a starting point, will be helpful for us to start to consider and maybe then to start to kind of put a bit of flesh on the bones of these things. What does it look like to seek the welfare of Faversham, of Tenham, of the places where we are? It looks like serving and loving all those who need help, all those who need help and protection without discrimination without putting in certain criteria. Actually, to serve and love all those who need help and protection. To seek to serve, rather than using others to meet our own needs. I think that's a really, um, a really, really important distinction there. Seeking to serve, rather than using others for our own needs. It also looks like bringing God's love Peace and justice to bear on a a broken world. I'm more and more aware of God's heart for justice and how God's people are meant to be at the forefront of of justice. Standing against injustice in all of its forms. So we're to be those that bring God's love, peace and justice to bear on a broken world. It means creating and cultivating culture to live out your faith in the places where God has you. And it means to hold out Christ as the ultimate satisfaction. Everyone is longing for something that will satisfy the deepest longings in their their hearts, aren't they? It's true for all of us as well. But actually, just as we have found our ultimate satisfaction in Christ, to seek the welfare of, of our town to seek the welfare of our villages means to hold out Christ as the ultimate satisfaction because people will be looking for it somewhere and we know where it's found and we have not just an opportunity we have a responsibility to hold it out, to show them actually Christ is the ultimate satisfaction so what's God's purpose in this why Was this God's calling to the people who found themselves in exile? Why is this God's purpose for us? In verse 10 of Jeremiah 29, it actually says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I don't know if anyone noticed that. Actually, God's heart in having people in Babylon was for the good of Babylon. He wanted them there, not just for one or two years, but for 70 years for the sake of of those who had actually, the ones who had brought them into captivity in the first place. It was for the good of Babylon that God's people were there to live among them. Even though their intentions were not good, God was going to use it for for the good of that place. That they would be brought into contact, that they would be uh, living among, that they would be impacted by, that they would be affected by those who believed in the true and live in God. It was for the good. Of that place. But, it is, but God's purpose wasn't just for Babylon. But it was also. For his people. That as they lived out his call. As they pressed into his call. To be those that brought blessing. And, and sought prosperity. And sought welfare. And prayed for that place. Uh, and sought for it to prosper. Actually the result of that. Was their growth. And their renewal, it drew them to him, that it would make them call upon him. And so actually, can can you see why it's so important? If we just have this individualistic approach to the gospel where we think it's solely about my growth and my journey and what God has for me, we're at risk of missing out on what God actually has for us. Because actually, as we seek to serve and love the places where God has called us to be, it is good for those places... Because God's people are involved and engaged with their lives. But it is also good for us. Because it brings about growth within us. It causes us to call upon God. It causes us to seek God. And ultimately, the, the gospel, it, it's kind of the proving ground, if you like, for whether, what we, believe in the, whether we actually f- truly believe in what we say we believe in terms of the gospel. It works itself out as we engage with the world around us and the places where God has called us to. We're going to draw... I'll come, we're going to kind of draw the... I don't know how to phrase this. I was going to say the speaking and listening part of what I'm going to do. But we're going to come I would love us to pray. Because God calls his people to pray On behalf of the places where he has called us to be. To seek its welfare. To seek its prosperity in prayer. And we're going to come and do that. We're going to pray for the places where we live. We're going to pray for our neighbourhoods. Part of that is going to look like Thanksgiving. Thanking God for our town. Thanking God for our village. Thanking God for the people who live there. Another part of it is praying that God will bless this place. That God will bless everyone who calls this place home. That God would bring prosperity and peace here. So I'm gonna, I would love to invite you to pray with me.